0: By Mootar Zimmerman header goal. Nashville ignites abroad. A road goal that ripples through a foreign land. Welcome to the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, and will actually give Nashville SC credit <laughs> when it deserves that credit. West Bowling here. I'm Nashville SC's radio analyst on ESPN 94.9. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor, editor, writer, everything at clubcountryusa.com. Before we give Nashville credit for its win over Montreal, we'd like to give Moon Taxi some love for, as always, being the music bed you hear at the beginning and the end of this show. And, of course, special thanks to ESPN 94.9 for John Freeman's call of Walker Zimmerman's goal, somehow his first of the season for the boys in gold. Now, of course, he's missed some matches for international duty and for a, for an injury earlier in the year. Nonetheless, his first goal of the year, significant For the boys in gold as it gives them the 1-0 win in Montreal and now nine points in their last three matches, their longest and Tim's still first win streak of the season as those draws that they were racking up earlier in the year, especially on the road, are starting to turn into wins.
1: Yeah, and I was kind of beating the drum at the time that some of this stuff, when you look at the underlying numbers, is going to end up working out for Nashville SC unless they start playing more poorly and they haven't started playing more poorly and the results have kind of felt a lot more like the deserved ones that it, that they weren't getting early in the year, whether that was the opening stretch against Cincinnati, Montreal, and Miami, or some of these games in between that it felt like, oh, man, a draw really should have been a win. Those are now turning into wins, and that's exactly what has kind of been in store for a little while. Metrics aren't just for
0: nerds to look at and talk about. They can be predictive, and you're right. You have been using those metrics to make that case throughout the year. And today we're going to talk – a lot about Nashville's road form. With that second straight road win and the early shout, we'll look at how Nashville's shaping up away from home. They've gone from winless on the road to one of the better teams in Major League Soccer when they pack their bags. We'll break down what everybody else is doing on the road. And then... An absolute treat for you. Alistair Johnston is going to join us on a special Canadian-themed episode of Club and Country. Of course, the boys in goal just beat Montreal. They'll travel to Toronto this coming weekend. And Alistair Johnston recently played all 270 minutes for Canada in World Cup qualifying in their recent stint, including that draw against the USA at Nissan Stadium. We get into all of that with Alistair in a really in-depth conversation that I believe you will each consider to be one of the best guests we've ever had on this show. We've had a lot of esteemed people. to
1: just an awesome chat with a guy who is generous with his time and his insight. Yeah, anybody who knows Alistair or even knows this club knows kind of the caliber of character that he is and his willingness to both be open and and take a lot of his time talking with us, too. It's not just about uh, what he's willing to say, it's how long he was able to, to sit down with us and, and be very gracious with his time. So many thanks to him for that, and I, I think uh, listeners will be very excited to hear some of the stuff that he ha- had to say to us.
0: And the rise of Alistair Johnston is emblematic of what this team has done and the credit, or lack thereof, they have received throughout that build. Alistair, one of the more overlooked, maybe underrated players that is right-back spot in Major League Soccer, And why is Nashville's head coach the Rodney Dangerfield of MLS Teams of the Week? He just can't get no respect. You've seen the same in some circles with regard to Hani Mukhtar and the MVP conversation. What's it going to take for the boys in gold to get a little bit of love for what they're doing We'll talk about that in the mailbag, as well as some other really uh, fun questions that you guys sent our way, and then we'll close by embracing consensus. Nashville just beat Montreal. That's, on paper at least, the toughest of the four matches in their season-long four-match road trip. So, now that they have those three points in the bag, should we revise expectations for what they need to accomplish on this road swing, and what could it mean for their ultimate place in the table? It is a busy show. Let's get moving. It's time for our early shout. Oh, what a beautiful pass. Back heel flick. Shot. Save. Rebound. Cleared away. Zimmerman goes sliding in to block a point blank shots. Montreal's best chance of the match. And they will be left ruining their misses.
1: I don't exactly remember how it got to uh, the, the middle, but I think it was served in and uh, maybe took it a deflection. And- you know, I had a little bit of a sight at the ball. Uh, there was a little traffic in front of me and gave up a bad rebound, and, and Walker was there to clean it up. So um, it's something that Walker does a lot, and and a lot of our defenders do. So, um, you know, when, when I talk about clean sheets being a, a team effort, it, it's really not just because it, – it's not just a cliche. It's things like that. I mean, there there are reasons why I say that because all of our defenders – put their body on the line every single every single game
0: those comments courtesy of Nashville keeper Joe Willis who now leads Major League Soccer in clean sheets with 10 of them Nashville also ahead in that category league wide and he's talking about the heroics of Walker Zimmerman who jumped in front of a ball at the last minute that Mustafa Kisa was about to notch into the net a couple of Good chances for Montreal, but Nashville able to avert disaster and take three points on the road for the second straight match. So coming into the Atlanta contest three games ago, this was a Nashville team that had drawn a lot away from home, but hadn't taken a win. They beat Atlanta, they come home, they beat New York City, and then they go to Canada and win their first ever international match against the artists formerly known as The Impact. And now, Tim, all of a sudden... Nashville's buzzing on the road, 11 points from nine games. That 1.22 points per game is the seventh best away mark in the league.
1: Yeah, I was warning earlier in the year, kind of like I said in the, in our intro here, I was warning earlier in the year that a lot of people who were kind of up in arms about how poorly Nashville had played on the road might have been looking at a low sample size and, and reading too much into it. And that's kind of come to fruition here. Um, the sample size meant that there wasn't a ton of meaning to the games that they did have, and there was a little bit of simple bad luck in terms of timing. Um, typically strong home clubs in, in Real Salt Lake and New York Red Bulls uh, drew and beat Nashville, respectively, at home before they, their home form has kind of fallen apart for both of those teams. And and bad luck within the course of games. Um, playing against Miami, a, a pretty even game, and, and missing a winner and, and giving one up on the other end, those are the sorts of things that, yes they happen to every club but when you've played as few road games as nashville had until very recently kind of it's kind of amplified each time and and we, if you get a little bit of bad luck in multiple games it looks a lot worse than it is and i think we're starting to see that this is the sort of team that nashville sc is going to be they've always had the the one nil grind it out win in their tool bag
0: mm-hmm. we saw that last year and they're able now to, to go to that when they want while still being more expansive at home the funny thing, if you look at it, and gold nugget number two here, is that there's only one team ahead of Nashville in the road points per game category in the Eastern Conference, and that's first place New England. And there's no shame this year being ranked behind New England in anything. But five of the six teams now ahead of Nashville in the MLS road race are in the Western Conference. Is it easier, Tim, to win on the road over there? Is there more parity on that side of the equation? Do you attribute that to anything other than just a weird stat?
1: Yeah, I was trying to figure it out. I I went through a couple thought processes. Some of it might be that Vancouver played Real Salt Lake at home, but actually at Real Salt Lake Stadium. So some of those small things, but at the same time, we've seen Montreal and we've seen Toronto playing their home games away as well. Um, The trips are longer in the West, so you'd think that it should be a little bit more difficult to win on the road, but for whatever reason it just hasn't worked out that way. And I think a big part of it is that there's just a gap at the top of the Western conference. Um, Seattle and sporting Kansas city are just so good that they're going to beat a lot of Western conference teams, no matter where the game is. And then you have a team in the San Jose earthquakes. That is, Uh, Not necessarily a world beater, but they are (laughs) just such a chaos team that their home road split is going to be totally unrelated to whether they're at home or on the road just because they can win anywhere and they can lose anywhere. So I think it might just be a little bit of randomness, but maybe there's a little bit to it in terms of just being a top heavy conference with one just crazy team.
0: (laughs) Maybe the first time we've ever mentioned San Jose Earthquakes on this podcast. And
1: it's funny. We've mentioned Wando, I'm sure of it. I'm sure well, we've mentioned
0: one. Yeah, he transcends San Jose. But yeah, those top three teams, Seattle, SKC, and Colorado in the road table, also the top three teams overall in the West. So I think mm-hmm. that's a great point. Those are teams that just get it done wherever they are. One final gold nugget for you. Nashville lost the expected goals race against Montreal. Fifth time this year that they've done that. Of course, they've only lost two matches this year. So when they lose XG, that accounts for both of their losses this season. They've also won a couple and drawn in those five matches. So Nashville has not lost
1: When they've won the XG mark. Yeah, and I think a big part of when you look at um, how they lost the XG mark in this particular game. And obviously different providers have slightly different XG numbers. We're talking according to both Opta and American Soccer Analysis. They were slightly on the lower end of the expected goals race here. But a big part of it is after Nashville takes a lead they're willing to sit back and, and take some shots and obviously you don't want to have Joe Willis have to make a save and then Walker Zimmerman save the rebounds himself but that, that's the sort of thing that this Nashville team has excelled in doing is, is absorbing some of that pressure and letting opponents get some shots off but shots that ultimately don't have a chance to find the back of the net so there is a, a certain situation where you look at an XG deficit and say that means we were leading at the right times of the game.
0: Yeah, good point. Uh, Toronto FC beckons now on the road as the boys in gold returned home after the Montreal win, but we'll go right back up to Canada. BMO Field on Saturday night. Teams drew their August 1st, and that was just TFC's third game back at BMO Field. They've still not won in their return home. Now, you might remember they started the season in Orlando as their home ground due to um, Canada's COVID restrictions. But since returning to the biggest city in their country, Toronto 0-1-4 at home. Just 0.8 points per game. Their other home games down in Florida, they had two results in four. They're just not good at home, whether that home is in Central Florida or whether it's in Canada.
1: Yeah, I think they're they're pretty much not good anywhere <laughs> because they're only at 0.65 points per game across the entire season and counting away games, too. So this is a team that has struggled in. Obviously, you know, when we previewed this, this club both previous times that Nashville SC played them, we kind of said you know, there are there are maybe some signs of hope for them, but they just aren't quite getting it right. And I think when you look at how they've played in the time since they've returned to BMO Field, it's the same sort of thing. You can see some signs of hope that they might be able to to maybe turn a corner, and it just hasn't seemed to really click for them.
0: Nashville has been sneaking up on teams this year, kind of like my one-year-old is sneaking up right now <laughs> in my office where I'm recording. If you hear any color commentary, little guy is, uh, he actually, when, when he turns on the TV... He says one of two things. He either says Elmo or soccer. He, those are the <laughs> only two things right now being viewed in our house. Uh, back to the game. It was Robert Castellanos who scored the Nashville SC goal to open the scoring from a Dave Romney long throw. Omar Gonzalez equalized on a set piece for Toronto in a game that, uh, you know, we were divided with some other members of the Nashville media sphere, including Davey Shepard, who called it a very disappointing result. I said a draw in Toronto was, was fine. I think this time around, a win in Toronto should be a reasonable expectation.
1: Yeah, uh, the 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 way that the game played out last time was obviously um, had some disappointment to it because Nashville felt the stronger team, but couldn't really put any legitimate chances on the frame of the goal, and so the, certainly the the way the the result came was was frustrating. But again, as we talk about expected goals a lot, you more often than not when you're the stronger team on the field you are going to have the opportunity to win more than the opponent is going to have the opportunity to win and i think if you repeat that feat again in bmo field i think nashville sc has a much better chance this time to win it obviously the the previous <laughs> result is already set in stone so so inherently a greater chance to both win lose and uh, less chance to draw because it was 100 for the previous one but definitely i think um if nashville plays the same way that they did without uh walker zimmerman with Alister johnston coming off uh, two days of worth of rest playing for his country in the Gold Cup. There are a lot of reasons to think that this is going to be a stronger Nashville SC team than was in Toronto SM. And Toronto it has lost five straight. The last three losses have come by multiple goals
0: to Miami, Montreal, and FC Cincinnati. They just gave FC Cincinnati... That's it's a murderer's
1: first, row right there. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a row of, of teams who have been murdered. And and Rose from the dead resurrected and, and got the job done by multiple goals over Toronto. So, not a great story in Toronto uh, this season. The Boys in Gold hoping to uh, write the next chapter of their successful year... But there is a great story who has come out of the Toronto area, and that is Alistair Johnston, of course, the second-year player, sat down with us this week to talk about so many things, about his recent international duty with Canada, his matchup against Walker Zimmerman's U.S. Men's National Team, about his recent form for club and for country. As we continue to live up to our name of covering both ends of that spectrum, we think you're really going to enjoy our chat with Nashville SE right-back Alistair Johnston. Well, Nashville SC traded up to pick Alistair Johnston 11th in the 2020 MLS Super Draft, and it might be the best $75,000 they've ever spent. Since joining the club, he's been in the starting 11 30 times. Only five of those matches have ended in losses, and Alistair has also broken into the Canadian national team. Doesn't appear to be going anywhere. He's appeared 13 times for his country in 2021, and he went 90 minutes for Canada at Nissan Stadium against the U.S. on Labor Day weekend. And Alistair, thank you for joining us. Let's start with that. What was it like being the Visiting team at Nissan Stadium. Did you go into the right locker room? Did you did you hear the jeers from the fans? How did the experience compare to what you expected?
2: Well, thanks for having me, guys. First of all, Uh, I'm glad to be here. And you know that one was crazy. Tell you what, walking to Nissan and going left instead of going right was very different for me. Uh, Going to the away locker room, Um, and yeah, going out there, I was a little a little excited and a little nervous as well, just to you know kind of see what the crowd was going to give. It was fun though, walking out there just to check out the field and. You could see a lot of Nashville jerseys kind of just speckled around the stadium, which was pretty cool. Sprinkled around, and and they were giving me some good love, which was nice. Um, I know our whole team went out; they all came out, and they, they were supporting as well. Even though a lot of them were cheering for America, and we're a little bummed that uh, we managed to keep that to a uh, one-one draw. But I tell you what, um, I knew the Nashville crowd; they can show up. They love this. They love this team. They love this sport. And I think when. Uh, America comes to town. I think they put on a great spectacle. Um, Yeah. 40 something thousand strong, um, you know, great energy throughout that whole stadium. when they scored, you could feel it. Um, And also when we, uh, when we equalized, you could hear it too. It got a little quiet in there, which was fun, (laughs) but I think it was a great, it was a great sign for whoever was watching, whether it was the U S soccer Federation or, or the people at the part of FIFA, whether they're going to be putting out these stadiums for 2026. I think that was a great audition um, for Nashville and, you know, I'm hoping they get one of the bid cities cuz that would be unbelievable. I can only imagine it would be 40,000 times too. They would have that upper bowl pack too and and Nashville would put on a good show for that for sure.
0: Well, you and Canada put on a good show in that match. I know you had a couple nice takedowns of uh, Christian Polisic uh, in, in the game as well. What was your favorite <laughs> moment either on the field or or maybe leading up to that that match?
2: Um I, there's a couple hilarious moments to be honest. Obviously, 2 minutes in knocking Pulisic to the deck and, and hearing the jeers going, Hey, that was a pretty flagrant one. And I, I, you know, I know what I'm doing. You know, when you're going up against a premier a premier league star like that, you got to show that you're not going to give up anything easy right away and, and show that you mean business. And that's kind of been our identity on the road is that we're going to be a team that's going to be tough to beat and we can hit you on the counterattack Cause we have got a lot of pace and a lot of talent up there across our, our front line. So that was kind of the game plan with that. But there was a lot of cool moments coming to Nashville. I'll tell you what, um, we were staying right downtown, pretty much off Broadway. And a couple of the guys were like, hey, Alistair, like, um, let's go out. I want to walk around Broadway. Because we literally drove. When we were driving to the hotel, our bus stopped pretty much at one of the intersections going across Broadway. And everyone was just glued to the windows. Like, oh, my goodness. Holy crap. This thing's insane. So I was like, here we go. This is going to be uh, this be interesting. But we only brought our Canada gear. So all the guys, hey, Alistair, we got in. We're like, hey. A F- a Fonzie calls me. He's like, hey, let's, let's go for a walk. I want to show me some places. I'm like, all right. Like, I'll meet you down there. So we met them down by the Apple store. Uh, me and a couple of the other guys, and 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 it was Alfonso Davies and Tejan Buchanan waiting outside. By the time I got there, I saw them already starting to get swarmed. I'm like, this is a terrible idea, <laughs> terrible idea. People stumbling out of the bars, going, "Who are these guys?" So all it took is one, all it took is one person, you know, take their phone out. Hey, can you sign this? And then all of a sudden, everyone else is like, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> unfortunately, we we weren't really incognito. Um, all red Canada badges on everything. I was like, oh my goodness, we've absolutely we've probably set ourselves up for failure here. So I was trying to keep our heads down, like everyone masks on, walk, uh, walk quick here. And, and we had to cut our walk pretty short, but no, it was cool. It was crazy. And, and everyone kept coming up to me throughout that entire weekend. Like, man, like, how do you, like, how would you ever want to leave this place? I'm like, yeah, I know it's a good time. <laughs> even, even John Urban came up to me. He's like, man, I jogged down Broadway. Unbelievable. Uh, what you're working with here must be a good time. I'm like, yeah, it's no joke. Nashville's a, it's a fun city. And, and I think a lot of guys, especially the ones that play over in Europe, you know, they sometimes kind of miss that stuff that they don't understand, like, what all these uh, what these American cities are about. So it was cool to kind of, you know, show off the the second home that I have here. And and I think all the guys really enjoyed it, had a good time. And, and obviously it was it helped that we got a decent result on the road here against the U.S., to, you know, really kind of cap off that trip.
1: Yeah, I know you. You mentioned when you came back from the Gold Cup that your family got to uh, got to see the game in person. So you got you got the tour guide part of it down before bringing Canada to to Nashville, huh? Mm -hmm. Got
2: the tour guide down. You know, it was it's one of those ones. It's definitely a skill you need to learn on the fly. Um, Balancing balancing being a tour guide and also preparing for a match at the same time is difficult. Um, The biggest one I learned though is the tickets. It's that hey. I just I, I get a certain allotment of tickets. I already know people are going to be texting me. I just send them right to my dad. I say, hey, you do what you want with the tickets. At the end of the day, <laughs> I'm not the one in the crowd. I'm the one on the field. Smart You're the man. one that has to sit with the people. So you choose <laughs> who you want to go. I don't care. So anyone texts me, I just said, hey, text Bill. Text Bill Johnson. He's your guy. Um, so that was definitely a, a pros move that I've learned from some of the vets of the team. As they said, hey, make your job as easy as possible. Don't worry about that stuff. Um so, you know, those those home games are definitely crazy with that. And, and also here with Nashville, I knew it was going to be hectic, but our team admin, Jeff Robbins, shout out him. He did a great job. He, he got all the guys' tickets, everyone sorted. So um, that was real helpful for me as well.
0: Any back and forth with Walker before or after the match?
2: You know, before I tried to actually this time, uh, I tried to pry out of him if he was going to start. I kept saying, oh, I can't wait to see you and Brooks together as a partnership. And he was trying to lead me on to like, <laughs> yeah, it might be happening. But I was like, yeah, it is going to happen, isn't it? And he... He was—he's very good. He's very tight-lipped with the lineup. He also was going at me, trying to figure out what was going on. I, I was trying to say, "Hey, man, like I don't know. I'm pretty tired after that first match. We'll see what goes on." Even though I knew going into it that I was going to be playing all 270 minutes of that window, so I was pretty stoked about that. But both of us were pretty cagey with that stuff. He's an ultimate competitor. Um, anything we do, whether we're playing cards or or comes to soccer, you know, it's he's going to be trying to win so i knew i wasn't gonna get much out of him um after the game obviously he was a little bummed not to get in he did say though that he was warming up that 90th minute when they got that corner at the very end that mm. he was ready to get subbed on to maybe dunk that one and i'll tell you what if i saw him come on the 93rd minute i wouldn't <laughs> worry because i think i was gonna have to be the one that was gonna have to pick him up <laughs> and oh my goodness there would have been posters of that all over nissan if it was him dunking a game wing header over me oh so i was really happy that, that i couldn't get him onto the field in time so uh but, no, he, he was great. Uh, we actually saw jerseys after, and it was funny. That was the first time we got to wear those Black Canada kits. Um, mm. So I've had all these people hitting me up, like, hey, like, where do I get one of those Black Canada kits? I'm like, man, I don't even have one yet. Walker's Walker. got the the yeah, only Black Walker. Canada Johnson kit in existence at the moment. He's the only guy that's got it. So if you want it, you could probably buy that off Walker for 10 bucks, the a bag of <laughs> chips. But, um, yeah, no, so it, it, we have some good banter. And, uh I think the U.S. is going to be fine. I think he'll get his chance, too. I think it would be great if he managed to get on the field, especially in Nashville. I think the crowd would have absolutely erupted. Um, but, you know, he, he'll he have a good qualifying campaign. I don't think U.S. has too many worries. I know it probably wasn't the the perfect start that all the, the club and country people were looking for. But at the same time, that, that group is talented enough that I don't think they'll have any problems um, qualifying for Qatar.
0: Darn good start for you guys. And you mentioned going the full 270. Uh, that's probably something you've envisioned doing for your country for a long time. And yet, you know, you were overlooked growing up uh, quite a bit by the provincial teams. You didn't, I believe, join the Canadian national team system until the U-16 level. Um, has that oversight been a motivating factor in your drive to success? Could you have imagined two years ago that you'd be lining up in front of 40 plus thousand uh, against your MLS teammate, or, you know, at least on the bench in a, in a key World Cup qualifier?
2: if I'm being completely honest, no chance. Like there was just, <laughs> there was no inclination of that two years ago. I was just hoping I was going to get drafted. You know, it was one of those ones like, I hope I can find my way onto an MLS roster and, you know, get a chance. Um, and how it's kind of played out here in Nashville has been unbelievable. Just getting an opportunity, having a coaching staff that's trusted me and and being a part of a, a player group that's been super accepting and, and just great to learn from. I mean, we have so many great vets that have taught me so much um, and really taken me under their wing and, And there is a ton of teams around where one, if a young guy makes a mistake, you know, even the players kind of push him to the side. They go, you know what, maybe he's not the one and we need someone right now that win, help us win now. But I think this team and this coaching staff has been so good at instilling confidence in guys like myself, um, you know, really, really giving us that opportunity to grow as a player. You know, you're a young guy, you're going to make mistakes, but at the same time is we're a team that wants to win. And, um, yeah. you read that stat. I mean, I've played three times and the lost five. Are you kidding me? That, that seems pretty good. I didn't even know that. So I'm, I'm going to hold that one. i might put that on my resume. There you go. Um, win percentage is up there. Um, actually, probably the draw percentage is really good um, if I'm playing. But uh, no, it, it's just stuff like that is that they that they've allowed me to go out there and, and, and learn on the fly. And I think that's been a massive thing. And, and it's been the same with Canada is they've kind of thrown me into the fire and and trusted me. And that's been a huge thing for me as, as a young player. I think that if you feel trusted and you feel like uh, your coaching staff believes in you and, and it just goes such a long way to feeling like you belong. And that's where you can really express yourself and show, show what you can do. And that's been night and day with both situations with Canada or with Nashville. It's that, you know, looking back, yeah, 24 months ago, could I have ever imagined where I'm at right now? No chance, but at the same time, one change it for the world. So mm-hmm. it's been really good.
1: I I guess one last primarily Canada question before we hop into some Nashville SC stuff. This is a question that we, Wes and I actually get asked a lot and we don't really know the answer to, which is uh, just like mechanically, how does a national team call up happen? Does Herdman text you and say, Hey, you're in, and then look in your, look in your Apple wallet. There's a, there's a Delta ticket or whatever. How does, how does that stuff kind of come in? Does he, does he email you like a tactical plan? How does this sort of stuff happen? Like from a very literal perspective of, of the call up itself?
2: It's a good question. So, like, the very first time I ever got called in, um, I kind of had a rumor through my agent that Canada was watching and monitoring me, which is always something you wanted to hear. And this was probably, when would that have been? Last summer. Hmm. So, before we went into the playoffs. um, Excuse me. um, And you kind of hear a little bit of rumblings and then eventually they'll reach out. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like a text. You just get a text all of a sudden. What's that? John Herdman is texting you. And he's like, hey, like, I also like love to set up a call with you. And you're like, okay, cool. Um, so we had a good FaceTime call, you know, just talking soccer, um, talking my game, um, talking my development, all that. And then eventually once you get close to a camp, they will send out. Generally it's like a kind of the broader pool. It's like, okay, you're a part of the final kind of cuts. Um, this is going to be the main kind of cap uh, camp itinerary. This would be the dates um, let you know if you are available, please respond. Yes. Yada, yada, yada. And then in a couple of weeks we'll announce the final roster. So Going into it, you kind of have a good idea, but it is kind of similar to that. It's not like it's – you're getting texts every single day like, yeah, this is how you're doing, yada, yada, yada. It's more, yeah, when you get kind of close to it, you, you kind of get the call. You you get the you get the text, you get the emails, and then all of a sudden all the preparation comes. Yeah, all of a sudden you start seeing tactical analysis of teams you're playing up against and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And it, it's it's a really cool experience. Um, and yeah, you could ask Walker about it too. There's nothing like representing your country and, and just getting that chance to, you know – See the game through a different lens, too. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of how it works. It's Mm -hmm. not really rocket science. It really (laughs) really is as basic as that.
0: You have, at this point, played more MLS matches than anyone picked ahead of you in the Super Draft, except for Henry Kessler in New England. Another thing to add to the resume, I suppose. Um, From an outsider's perspective, that ascent has been fairly rapid. Mm Uh, when did you know last year that you were going to be a mainstay uh, on this back line? And then how have you taken the presence in the lineup and built upon that into uh, the player that you are now and just continued to grow this season?
2: You know, I'd say, I still don't think I'm like a mainstay. You know, it's one of those ones that I think once you kind of get that mentality that your name should be on that team sheet, I think that's when you you start to play with fire a little bit. Yeah. I think we've had a great – you can just see it in our roster. We have such depth, um, such competition at every single position um, that no one really is able to ever really truly feel comfortable in their spot. Even Captain America, you know, he, he goes out for a couple <laughs> weeks. Jack Mayer steps in and plays great. Um, so I don't think you can ever really truly feel like you're a mainstay, and I think that if that does, then you kind of lose your competitive edge, and mm-hmm. that's when you start to potentially Whoa. plateau or something like that. So – that's kind of something you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch out for, but for sure, once you, once you really get a run of games under your belt and you really start to feel confident and you're happy with how you're playing, um, that's when, you know, like, I, when I'm in, you know, in form and playing well, um, I never really feel too worried about necessarily being replaced, but at the same time is that each game requires, you know, different personnel and there's going to be tons of games. And I think that's been great about our team is that with our depth is that we are able to rotate, which a lot of teams can't. And when they do rotate, you know that level drops off but for us you can see we rotate our team like brian and Nugget, matt legras to start uh, mm-hmm. up in montreal it's a big win on the road so i think that's been a really cool thing about this group is that just the depth one through 30 on this roster and the talent there there's not really a big drop off at all and that's been a huge thing and and something that us young guys when we do get our chance to play we understand you know what like you can go out there, you can you can play well, you're going to get an opportunity, um, and there's a chance out there to you know always perform and get a result. And if you do, you'll have a good chance to start the next game. So that's always been a cool thing with his coaching staff, um, their ability to trust younger players. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm living proof of that.
1: And you mentioned the rotation a little bit. Obviously, the rotation has kind of changed up as you guys have gone to a bit more of a back three um, you've gone from playing, you know, a right fullback to either a wingback or a right-sided <laughs> center back, which I think yeah. probably until until you started doing that with Canada might not have even been on Gary's mind. But what has that mm-hmm. kind of positional shift been like for you? And how have you kind of embraced uh, the various roles that you're able to play for this team?
2: Yeah, it, it definitely was one that probably wasn't in Gary's mind at all about me playing that right-side center back spot until I did it with Canada. Um, but... You know, I've enjoyed it so much. I think it really is a spot that fits my player profile in terms of I'm a very defensive fullback um, to a degree. Um, I think there's no kind of questioning that. I love to defend. I love a good tackle. um, But I also love to be on the ball. And it kind of harkens back to my younger days when I did play as a defensive mid is that I get to be a little more central um, compared to right back where I'm really stuck out on that flank. That right side center back role allows me to stay a little narrower and play some more passes that I'm kind of used to, that I used to play growing up um, as a center mid. So that's always been something that I've been really intrigued by. Um, And then also in a back three, it really lets you get aggressive. You know, they say to me, um, yeah, we're perfectly fine. We want overlapping. We want you to overlap, Alistair. That was a big thing that John said the first time he thought about it. John Herdman, he was like, hey, like, I want you to play all the Richard Leroy, I, like, I want you to get an overlap around him. And I was like, "Whoa, we're doing overlapping center backs. Like, yeah, overlap, underlap. I want you to create overloads. Who's going to defend you? And I was like, you make a great point. And I love that. <laughs> and it's something I've kind of brought to Nashville. It's one of those ones Gary's watched obviously all the games and he sees it too. And it's like, you know what? That's something that we could, we could utilize as well. And I think that I provide a bit of a different role than, Let's say if you're playing Jack there, Jack is a bit more airily dominant, um, very comfortable as well in that spot, very good on the ball. But at the same time, is they kind of see me potentially as maybe a better defender if I'm going up against a Barco or something like that. So mm-hmm. for certain matchups as well, it works because I'm really comfortable if we push on our right wing back to go press their fullback, for example, I'm really comfortable going out of the channel and defending 1v1 out there. And that was a big thing for Herdman is that how we wanted to play. We wanted to be super aggressive when you're going to play Alfonso Davies. You don't want him pinned back. You want to let that guy go free. Same with Richard Larea. Same with Tejan Buchanan if you're playing them at wing back, We want them pressing um, the opposition's fullbacks. That means that our back center backs, our, our outside center backs need to be super active because you're going to be getting out there to that touchline too and having mm-hmm. to pick up a winger. So that's something that they saw it, it's like, hey, that's not a mismatch. Sometimes a big center back lumbering out of that outside channel, you know, you are going to get torched one v one. But for me, that's where I normally defend. So it was one of those ones um, that I'm super comfortable going out there. So it was a, it was a role that I was excited by, and I had to lie a little bit to John Urban and said that I was, I played it a little more than I potentially had. I let on a little more than, than I potentially had done before playing in that position, just to get him to try me out there. Um, I think it turned out pretty well, and now it's something that that Gary's looked at and and potentially going to bring into our national team as well um depending on matchups and again i think that montreal one's a perfect example they sub on kyoto in the in the 60th or whatever and yeah i'm a little heavy leg from playing all those games at the same time it's this is a guy i played against in honduras and i know exactly his game And, and i think i match up well against him being a quick guy too who can who can battle physically um as an outside center back against him so yeah it just again it it taught me a lot tactically um, seeing the game through a different lens I think was really important and as a young player that's exactly what you want you want to you don't want to be pigeonholed into one spot you want to kind of show and that you can play different things and grow as a player because um, I'll tell you what I've seen so many different pictures now from being on that field and, and learned from some other players some different positions and I think it's only helped me in my overall game
0: there's no doubt at this point that this club is an MLS Cup contender. I think, you know, there are other great teams in the league, but you've asserted yourselves on the road now, which was kind of the one remaining piece, the one remaining question a lot of folks had about, you know, this team's ability to get the job done there. Uh, what do you see as your role on this team uh, for the rest of this season? And what do you need to do in that role for this club to go from MLS Cup contender to making that a reality?
2: Um, you know, I think that we need to get back to what we're good at. I think last year when you looked at it, we, we really – focused on keeping clean sheets um and i think we always knew last year no team wanted to come into nissan and play us and even on the road i don't think any team was excited to have nashville come towards us whenever i got a national Nash- team camp everyone's like oh nashville worst team <laughs> to play against no fun at all they know how to make the game ugly they know how to make the game difficult and it's just it's a spanish bar fight you know you're in a battle all day long 90 minutes so i think that we we take a lot of pride in that um and now with how our offense is clicking, Hani Mukhtar is an MVP form. Um, and I think he should be in more MVP conversation than he has been so far. Um, with how that offense is clicking, teams are really scared of what we can do on the counter and what we can do in possession against teams that if, you know, us as a back line can really get back to what we're good at, that keeping clean sheets. And I was looking at the numbers, you know, our, our goals against is still one of the best in the league, but we know we can do better um, defending set pieces all that kind of stuff that's been a little bit of our Achilles heel um, this year so far, if we can just clean that stuff up, which we know we can, it's just simple mental errors um, that we can really go from being an MLS cup contender to being, you know, one of those teams that's going to be favored for it. Um, And, you know, that's an exciting prospect um, for all of us in the locker room. And, and I think it's been good as well, being maybe a smaller market in the MLS's eyes that we don't get as much attention as other teams do, but we love it. Like we'll go under the radar. We're extremely confident in our locker room and, Everyone knows here that, that we have a chance to win an MLS Cup and and we want to definitely take it a step further than what we did last year. You know, we we can see it as we want to at least make it to an Eastern Conference final and, and see what goes from there. I mean, MLS Cup is, is on our minds and what a way to end a year that would be.
1: As you look towards this weekend's game, obviously your first professional game played in your hometown came just a few weeks ago. What do you remember about that kind of setting foot onto the the, the field at BMO? And what are you looking forward to as you, as you try to maybe come away with all three points this time?
2: Um, it was just cool being at the stadium that I'd, I'd gone to games as, as a kid. You know, I wasn't a huge Toronto FC fan actually growing up. Um, they weren't the best um, team when I was a kid, um, to be honest. <laughs> Those first couple of years, I'll tell you what, I- I've seen it from an expansion team. It's amazing what we've done here in Nashville with the, the crowd and just the performance on the field. Because um, I know what it normally is like, looks like for an expansion team for the first couple of years. It's difficult. It's really tough. Get your feet on the ground. Um, but no, going there and as a kid and, and seeing Toronto play um, and then comparing that to going out there and now playing with my club uh, against them was an unbelievable feeling. Beautiful pitch as well um it it was just really cool and then obviously getting then play with Canada um at BMO in front of a rocking crowd as well was just it's been a crazy crazy turn of events just wrapping my mind around that and you know now it's that first time I played there with um with Nashville against Toronto I was just so over the moon that kind of got lost in the fact that you know we wanted three points there um almost but this time uh, I think there's going to be no other way. Like, you know, we went in there, we obviously, we respect the talent they have. They got some Mm -hmm. top end talent on that team to tell them guys like that are just unbelievable. Obviously the Canadians too, that are the Canadian international that team, but we're going to be going in there we see it as like, this is a great chance to, to further, you know, maybe not close the gap on the revs because they've been flying so high, but at the same time it's further that gap between us and and third place and and really solidify ourselves. It's going to be one of those top spots. Um, in the east hopefully having home field advantage for as long as possible uh, and that's kind of on our mind right now so if we can go in there to toronto and, and take care of business like we just did in montreal it'd be a great canadian road trip i'll tell you what
0: so i'll close with this you know we're not asking you at all to undermine your your short-term aspirations this weekend or your commitment to, to this mm-hmm. nashville sc team and winning mls cup i think any guy who's playing regular minutes for his national team um, is going to be thinking about those long-term career goals as well do you think about being in europe one day do you think about making that move i'm not asking you to to say you want out now or anything like that you're happy <laughs> where you are doing great where you are but but is there is there that in the back of your mind that let long-term aspirations maybe get get sold to a european club and apply and your trade overseas
2: um you know it's funny i think if you ask a couple different people on this team you get different answers like for example my roommate asked jack and he's like oh i'd love to have a 20-year mls career you know american kid but me being uh coming from a British family. I mean, my mom was born in Northern Ireland, um, so I have the passports and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is nice. But uh, just growing up in a household where I woke up every single morning, every every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. to watch Prem, watch Premier League, watch Champions League every Tuesday, Wednesday, Europa League on the Thursday. It's always been kind of an aspiration. And I think from playing with Canada and, you know, sharing a field with guys like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, um, you know, they'll get it twisted. They are a different level of talent. (laughs) But at the same time, it's not like there's a huge gulf in talent where I feel minuscule. I feel like I don't belong at all. You know, it's like I'm a, I'm a I'm a part of this national team. I'm a part of you know what we're doing in Canada, and I'm sharing the field with guys that play with, for Bayern Munich, Besiktas, um, Lille, um, some really big clubs. And it's it does kind of always you know pique your interest a little bit. And I do obviously have aspirations. I think um, as yeah as a as a kid that grew up in a in a British household who well, over always, always, you know, I'm a huge Manchester United fan. If I ever had the chance to to play overseas, I would definitely, you know, I would, I would definitely entertain it. But at the same time, I'm in no rush. I love my time here in Nashville so far. We have a great team, great organization. Um, and, you know, we got a stadium coming. It's, it's a really, it's just a really exciting time. I think to be a Nashville SC player fan um, part of this organization, I think that, uh, you know, the sky's kind of the limit for this, this group here. So, at some point in the future, if if the right proposal came in, it'd be definitely something that I'd want to look at. But I'm, you know, I, I can't complain with how everything's gone. I'm just extremely grateful for, you know, Nashville were the ones that took chance on me, so um, I feel kind of indebted to them for all of that. And and you know, I'm loving my time here.
0: Well, thanks for your time with us. Uh, one more stat for you in those 30 starts for the club. Nashville has allowed just 26 goals. Best of luck growing that defensive record in Toronto this weekend and beyond. And thank you once again, Alistair, for spending time with us. Thanks,
2: guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Tim, there are folks inside the club who say that as much as we have seen from Alistair Johnston, there's even more that that they believe he can give. and And, you know, they think we've not seen the limits yet of his abilities, both in defense and in attack. You have to say, a guy who, who seems to have the blend of humility and confidence that, mm-hmm. that he does based on an interview, only good things ahead for him if he keeps going.
1: Yeah, and you, that's exactly where I was going to go with that. Is the, He has the personality to absolutely maximize his potential as a player. And I think as you continue seeing him make the rapid growth that he's made, in just his second professional season, he's a full Canada international. As he mentioned, played all 270 minutes for his club in the uh, World Cup qualifying window. This is a guy who the future is bright for, and I think the the present is already pretty bright as well. He's always good for a, a good story or five as well. I
0: enjoyed uh, him playing tour guide to uh, to his teammates, world class teammates, and Tejan Buchanan, who's going to be in Europe soon, and Alfonso Davies, who of course already is at Bayern Munich. Munich and I'm glad he did that in a a fashion that was true to himself and not in a Western, Western McKinney, uh, (laughs) fashion.
1: <laughs> I, I i was so tempting to drop that reference <laughs> during the interview and i was like nope <laughs>
0: i think you had the next question and i i was going to drop it in actually but but thank goodness you saved me from that so that's, <laughs> that's good i do think uh, and we'll get into it in just a little bit but i think he has some strong european potential mm-hmm. probably not going to be sold tomorrow you know but i think certainly his path takes him across the atlantic ocean at some point if he mm-hmm. uh, continues playing as he is let's go to the mailbag and we will get into that in a minute first let's look at the remaining schedule for for the boys in gold. A question from John Cade, which dark horse team is going to pose the biggest threat to
1: Nashville between now and the end of the season? Yeah, I think it's going to be Chicago Fire. This is a team that always has the ability to create chances and largely to prevent opponents from doing the same. The problem is that there's a multi-year streak of really, really underachieving their underlying stats week in and week out. But if you fall asleep against them, this is a team that's going to build up that xg advantage as we just talked about and if you let them convert they're going to be able to win on on any given day um they also play nashville twice going forward here and so when you have that chance for a a pair of six pointers they can not only climb up the table a little bit but but knock nashville down the table with some strong games and um i think you know you look at a, a team like columbus that is another possibility there that has two games remaining orlando has two games remaining but it's not sneaking up on anybody they're right near the top of the table as well i think columbus is playing poorly enough against anyone's expectations, preseason at least, that you're a little bit less scared of them than you are of Chicago.
0: Yeah, Chicago would be a dark horse. Columbus would be a yellow horse. Uh, You you (laughs) can see it coming a little bit more for sure. I'm going to go beyond the regular season. Imagine a scenario in which the boys and gold finish second or third, as they're on track to potentially do, and Atlanta United ends up sixth or seventh. It is not an implausible world with Atlanta playing really well. They've won five of six. The only loss, of course, was Nashville. Nashville finishes second, Atlanta finishes seventh, or third and sixth, they would play in the opening match mm-hmm. of the playoffs. At Nissan Stadium, where Atlanta drew the boys in gold at their own low point earlier this year, mm-hmm. it is possible to me that Nashville could get exactly the the goal that it wants, which is that home playoff match. Then Atlanta comes to town and has momentum, is in form, and sneaks past the boys in gold in the first game of the playoffs. It yeah, that would be... An be...
1: <laughs> that, that, that would be something that I, I think would uh, really add the spice to the rivalry that's been lacking that we've talked about that they're starting to get a little bit of, but uh, if, at least from a narrative perspective, that'd actually be kind of fun.
0: Moving on to, to John Mueller. Inspired by Dax's solid performances in the broadcast booth, which current NSC player is setting himself up to go into the coaching and front office aspects of the sport. And in case you didn't know, Dax next McCarty spent his suspension uh, after the red card at New York City FC uh, on the color commentary team with Tony Husband. Uh, Jamie Watson had the night off. Dax came in and, and performed admirably in that role. Second time he's been in the broadcast booth. He took the New England game off and came up to the booth as the third man there. Did a really good job. As somebody who does the color commentary on the radio side, I can appreciate the difficulty of just stepping up and doing it. He certainly got some potential there. What about elsewhere in coaching and in the front office? First of all, I
1: have to say the, the commentary booth doesn't have the same width with Dax that it would with Jamie. <laughs> the, the formation is just not quite right. But, how uh... many? By the way, okay,
0: Tony. Tony's a pretty tall guy. All right, how many hmm. phone books? Was Dax sitting there? <laughs> and these days, when they're really not even publishing the phone book, what do you even use? Is it multiple pads? Is it a yeah. Stool? Xbox know. or something? They, they were them. the same height on the shot. I can I can tell you. Having stood to both in per next
1: to both in person, they're not the same height in real life. <laughs> well, anyway, to get to the matter at guys interested in going in, into the the team administration fields a little bit. It's interesting to note that a lot of these guys, especially some of the brightest guys on this team, really do have interests that that transcend the sport completely. Um, CJ supong is an obvious example. He's interested in a bunch of finance stuff. Um, he's the sort of guy that you know, retires from playing and, and might not go into a soccer as a second career. He might, he might just completely change fields, but I think a guy with the right kind of combination of intelligence and, and maybe the desire to go into it is Jaleel Anibaba. He's already a coach on the field. A lot of, a lot of the times, even when he's on the bench, he's, he seems like a bit of a coach on the field. He's also getting up there in years. So it's something that he could begin to think about. And I think if you're playing for, for Gary Smith and Steve Guppy and Brett Jacobs, this is the type of, coaching group that kind of helps you make that transition probably Uh, another one that I would would give a shout to in terms of of the off-field side of of being part of a team is is Dan Lovitz he's involved in in the MLS Players Association he's been involved in some of these some of these late the labor side of some of these negotiations he kind of gets that whole thing I'm obviously another really bright guy who might understand what it takes to be the guy who's striking deals and and making contracts uh, offers to some of these players in the future.
0: As we've seen, uh, borne out time after time, the best MLS clubs are guys who take MLS lifers and and promote them into positions in the front office, whether it's coaching or, or GM. Like mean, both those guys would be great. You know, you look at, at people who have attached themselves to movements that are larger than themselves, and I think those are the ones that you can easily mm-hmm. project into a role that requires a larger sense of perspective. And, and um, to that end, I think Anabob is a great shot. A great shout. I don't have anybody to add. Uh, to your list. I think those are both great. Um, Anibaba's involvement with Black Players for Change and so much Mm -hmm. other work that he's done. I think not only do those things show that you're a deeper thinker with higher ideals, but also that you're good at building relationships and using influence to make things happen, which is, of course, the ultimate task of a coach or a GM. Speaking of off-field stuff, um, John also asks, which player has the most interesting hobby? Is there a beekeeper in the squad? I don't know of any beekeepers um, although Nashville's back line does have some sting to it this year, pun intended sorry John, please keep listening please. Uh, I think CJ's meditation is interesting, uh, maybe that's a bit of a, of a go-to because we talked to him about it uh, on this show a few months ago, uh, I've spoken with him multiple times about it and the fact that it I think influences his, his on-field life, but also his more holistic life is is really interesting. And I appreciate his story there and, and the way that's rubbed off on teammates. Um, sorry, Taylor Washington. I don't know that I respect anybody more <laughs> on this team than you. I do not find gaming to be interesting. Sorry, <laughs> I just don't. You like FIFA? You like you know <laughs> Call of G- Duty or whatever? Stuff, like, yeah. That's fine. That's great. I just don't think it's interesting. I'm sorry. I don't
1: think that's a great hobby for you. I don't find it to be compelling. I, so I don't know of any beekeepers, but I do know of a guy who has a beekeeping adjacent hobby, maybe. That's Eric Miller. He's he's mentioned that he recently got into gardening. He got into it, I believe he said, last summer during the pandemic. That's something that I don't know if, if listeners will find that a particularly interesting hobby. I'm becoming an old man, so I find it very interesting because I do it myself as well. So shout out to Eric Miller. I think that's something that um, when you look at what these guys do off the field, uh, it's it's the sort of stuff that makes them feel fulfilled beyond players that that might be a little little bit uninteresting to the viewer, but but pretty interesting for these guys.
0: Yeah, I you know, saw some some Titans fans tweeting some angry things. Every Titans fan tweeting some angry things after their loss on Sunday. And, and a couple of the lines were like, you know, stop being a well-rounded person and go practice football is basically what they what they said. And I, I just I'm so frustrated with that now. I don't always like some of the things these these mm-hmm. players, at least all the Titans, are doing outside of of the office, if you will. I, I don't think Taylor LeWan's podcast is particularly uh, value-adding to the world. I think there's some task, toxic masculinity and stuff going on in there, whatever. But I want these guys to be well-rounded people. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, on the soccer pitch and in most sports... A more well-rounded person is a more complete person on the pitch as well. They're bringing all of themselves to the sport, and that is a good thing. And so it is fun to talk about uh, what these guys are doing away from from soccer as well. Tracy Edwards steps in and says, Toronto seems about as hapless as a club can currently be. I can't really disagree with that, (laughs) having lost five straight. What can Nashville SC do to get the attacking flow going up there?
1: Yeah, the Reds have been solid at home when they've been able to play in Toronto. um, As we mentioned previously, they're actually slightly better at the beginning of the year when they were in Orlando, but um, I think they they feel more formidable in Toronto. So NSC won't be overlooking them. I think the trick is to just do what got you there. Nashville has been open and progressive in recent home games, and they've also done that in recent away games too, which is kind of new. It's a contrast to the early days, kind of just escape with a point mentality. So keeping up what they've been doing, um, you know, a healthy Hani Mugdar, a healthy Dan Lovitz, a healthy C.J. Sapong. You've got pieces that are going to be able to to find those openings. And it's just a matter of keeping that up to the extent that you you find the ones that you convert. Sure. I'll give
0: my tactical game plan. I think against Toronto, it's to overlap and overload. I think that Lovitz and Johnston can have a field day on the right side of the pitch. You know, Alistair talked to us just a few minutes ago about how it gives him maybe a bit more of a narrow role as he's playing mm-hmm. right center back role. But it also can do the opposite he can spread wide and overlap on the outside flank and allow Lovitz to come inside a little bit inverting from that right side onto his left foot and teaming up with Mukhtar and even with you know one of the two forwards that are up there you saw Rios I think in particular do a pretty good job of hold up play especially in the first half in in Montreal but you know Lagrasse actually played higher than Lovitz did if you look at the average mm-hmm. position map from that Montreal match because Nashville didn't have Alistair at right center back. They had a more conservative Eric Miller there who did his job pretty well, but it's not going to be the guy to get forward as much. So I think if you can overlap, if you can overload, then you can stretch Toronto's central defensive midfield which, and center backs, which are uh, established, respected, aging, <laughs> and not as yeah. athletic, not as agile as, as perhaps those same guys were five years ago. And I think the key for Toronto is if you get past Michael Bradley – he's not going to catch you. If you get mm-hmm. past Chris Mavinga and, and Omar Gonzalez in the middle, they're not going to get you. Now, they're going to do a great job stopping everything in front of them, but if you beat them with numbers and stretch them wide, you can win. So I think that's my game, uh, and I think that that helps your attack get going. I think you know all the respect in the world to those veterans for what they've contributed to U.S. soccer and to Major League Soccer, but this is a team that can be taken advantage of, and I think Nashville has an opportunity to do that. Brian Wilson says, How good is Nashville SC without Hani Mukhtar? And that can get us, I guess, a bit into the... You know, is Hani Mukhtar um, an MVP frontrunner conversation? Uh, First, let's talk about how good they've been without Mukhtar, literally. Um, They've not played without him often. Um, Last time he was on the bench was New England away, and that was because Nashville was trying a a two-striker setup that looked a little different than it usually does uh, with Hani, and they were rotating. Yeah, um, Nashville, a, rest, a rest-oriented move as well, yeah. Right, absolutely. Um, Nashville's 2-0-2, so four results in four with him sitting or coming off the bench. Again, most of those happening earlier in the season. But they've just scored three goals in those matches, and they've been shut out twice. Honey, since the 2-2 home draw with Atlanta, has participated in 15 of Nashville's last 24 goals, and the amazing thing to me is that all but one of those goals plus assists that he has that lead MLS have come since Memorial Day weekend, since that brace late against Atlanta United. So that's 18 goals plus assists in the club's last 17 contests. We've not had a chance to understand what Nashville is without Honey Mukhtar because he has been such a crucial part of this club. Uh, but I'm curious, Tim... What tactical answers Nashville would employ if Gary didn't have Hani available to him? Would it look as good as it did in that 4-4-2 against New England at home early in the season when Hani didn't start, Nashville got the 2-0 win? Is that the kind of look you think they would employ at this point in the season, or would they
1: go another direction? Yeah, what's interesting to think about is is what they have switched to is obviously designed to get the most out of Hani Mukhtar, designed to get the most out of CJ Sapong. I think it actually is an, an easier situation to just plug Randall Leal into the spot that Hani is playing behind two strikers. It's been mostly Rios next to Sapong lately. You can plug him in as that kind of pseudo number 10 in a way that you couldn't when Nashville is going with its, its previous traditional 4-2-3-1 because you needed both Leal and Mukhtar on the field pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. Now you can kind of have those guys as like-for-like like subs with each other. You can play Leal and Mukhtar on the wings flanking Sapong. You have a lot more flexibility. I think it would look pretty similar to what it is right now. The question is, how good would Nashville be? And I think there's a reason that Mukhtar is in the MVP conversation right now, and that's because he is playing at the level he is. You can't plug Randall Leal on there, and obviously he's a player that you and I are both very high on and oh, have yeah. been very high on. He He's not Hani Mukhtar, certainly not, at least in terms of form right now. So that's something that you have to keep in mind. It would It would not look as good, but I think there's a good chance that you would see Gary Smith employ something similar to what this club has been doing more recently and maybe employing a bit more defensive of a, of a philosophy because you can't count on a guy like Mukhtar to get out there and score goals if he's not on the pitch.
0: We'll talk about Hani uh, a couple more times on this show and stay tuned for um, a rant that I will have on that subject. But but first, I'm getting to your questions first. Wesley, great name, says, Anunga, Leal, Johnston, or Hani. who will be sold first, when, and what league? So again, your four players, Brian Anunga, Renda Leal, Alistair Johnston, Hani Mukhtar, who would Nashville sell first? Because again, if you're new to Major League Soccer, it, it wants to be a selling league. That's how you ultimately right. sustain a successful club is you sell your best talent, at profits, and you reinvest in the squad. Anuga probably needs to develop a little more. He's on that track. He came cheaply from Charleston Battery. His game has really evolved, and I think it will continue to do so, and he will ultimately be very marketable, but I think that could be maybe a year away. Leal has a, a brief but somewhat negative track record in Europe. He really hasn't jumped off the map lately for his national team. I think, again, as you said, we're both very high on him, but you, you want to look at... at rising commodities and right now Leal is kind of on a more even track than he is, you know, necessarily, you know, rising up the charts like maybe he right. was earlier this year. So it's down to Haunting and Alistair. I don't think either would go this year. I don't think Nashville's entertaining serious offers that they are seriously considering at least at this point. And between those two though, it's a matter of timing, you know, for Nashville and for, for the buying club. It's a matter of fit tactically. I don't think Nashville has any interest in unloading a player who wouldn't be a fit where he's going? Uh, mm-hmm. I think they want to do right by the player, and whether the price is right, of course, especially in, in Hani's situation where he was acquired for a significant sum of money as a DP. I would say Hani, though, I would lean that way. An MVP level season would attract more suitors, even at a higher cost. I know he's been over to Europe; he's done the thing in in Denmark. He didn't stick on in the Bundesliga, but I still think maybe he's a little ahead of Alistair in that
1: in that race. But it's tight and I don't see anyone moving this off season. Yeah. For me, I think Hani is, has found a level in a league that he's pretty happy. in right now he's obviously been very productive for Nashville SC, but I think he likes the lifestyle that he's able to, to lead in Nashville, even, even in a pandemic year, when he can't, can't yeah. experience everything Nashville has to offer. I think he enjoys the lifestyle that he's living here. And um, I think that will keep him in Nashville, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know that he's an MLS lifer for the rest of his career, but I do think he stays a little bit longer than you might expect for somebody with his talent. I'm um, like, you mentioned Randy the layoffs form um, for club and country is not quite high enough to, to get the dollar value where Nashville will feel like they're getting the value that they deserve for him which to me leaves Anunga and Johnston. I think Johnston is a little bit farther ahead. They're both young guys, but Johnston is a little bit farther ahead in, in the development curve. And And for that reason, and as we uh, learned talking to him in our interview earlier in the show, he's got the European passport already. That makes it a lot easier to go over, especially to the United Kingdom. And I think that that would be a pretty good opportunity for him. And, and he's a guy who's been very open about that being his long-term goal. Whereas I think, while Anungo would certainly love to go and have a European career, he he hasn't been quite as, as open about the fact that that's what he wants to do with his soccer days. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, and Nashville
0: hopes to be in a position to be selling, you know, one or more of those guys. But again, I think, you know, we, we will likely see a lot more soccer out of each of them before mm-hmm. they are shipped off a last question. And it's, it's getting toward ramp time for me as Logan Elliott says, at what point does Gary Smith get credit for the performances we're seeing Nashville's next man up mentality is really impressive and is a big testament to good coaching. You're not going to find two people on this podcast who disagree. You won't find one person who disagrees with that. As once again, Gary Smith overlooked for MLS coach of the week honors in favor of a man he beat just a couple weeks ago in Atlanta. He hasn't won it this season, Tim. Two
1: Atlanta coaches have won it now since Gary last won it. Yeah, I think there's there's probably not a satisfying answer to Logan's question. I just think that the, the credit is not going to arrive. It's the same way that one of the most prolific attackers in the league, a guy that we were just talking about extensively in Honey, didn't even get a sniff for the All-Star game, even when the, the All-Stars needed to replace guys who were unable to play. Nashville just seems a little out of sight, out of mind for some of the folks working in the league office. Even though NSC is, is fifth in the Supporter Shield race, they're on a lower budget than all of those teams except for Colorado Rapids who are are right there with them. So it's something that it just doesn't make a a ton of sense why especially the head coach of the club doesn't get that credit because when you look at a, a guy who's, theoretically operating with a little bit lower level of talent around him and he's still willing them to the sort of wins that Nashville's been able to get this year it's difficult to say exactly when that that credit is going to arrive yeah
0: I mean Nashville makes the deepest expansion team run in modern MLS history last year finishes in the top seven goes to the playoffs Gary Smith doesn't get nominated as a finalist for Coach of the Year last year. Greg Vanny gets it over him because he did the miraculous thing, which was to take the Eastern Conference champions, and help them finish second the next year. <laughs> it was a good year for <laughs> Toronto, but come on, man. As good as Greg Fanny is. So that's number one, is that Nashville has the early success and doesn't get the credit for it. And yet now it feels like when people talk about Nashville's success in year two and the way they've grown, they're saying, "Yeah, but they haven't come terribly far because they were really good last year. Well, where was the credit last year then? It's got to be one or the other, right? Yeah. You've got to eventually give the credit. I think Nashville's a victim of the early success it achieved. And, mm-hmm. you know, give... The MLS intelligentsia, if you want to call them that, sometimes they're the opposite. At least a little bit of credit for giving Walker Zimmerman Defender of the Year honors. But you can't tell me it was all on Walker. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of disingenuous, dense, dumbassery going on in MLS punditry. Gary Smith could coach this team to an MLS Cup. He would not most likely be nominated for Coach of the Year. And I would love to be proven wrong. Come back here and tell me if I'm wrong on that. I don't see it happening. Hany Mukhtar, in the MVP conversation, Andrew Wiebe of Extra Time, who I think does a great job covering this league. That that podcast, I think, is exceptional. He said, does him, Hany Mukhtar have a case for MVP? All right, you tell me. If Alejandro Pozuelo, if Carlos Vela, if Diego Rossi were leading in Major League Soccer in goals plus assists, would that question even be asked? Mm-hmm. It would be assumed. Yeah. Because it's a guy from Nashville who doesn't hail from South America. no maybe maybe he's an mvp and then you know had a had a twitter conversation with somebody i'm not going to name because i don't believe in giving attention to people who are dumb from (laughs) miami who leads it off by saying by the way that he's speaking from a miami perspective which as a media member you should probably speak from an impartial perspective if you want to be taken seriously just saying and then he says "Eh, gonzalo iguaín was almost as good this year as, as Hani Mukhtar. Well, the numbers don't back that up. Hani is, is the only person in Major League Soccer to be top four in nearly every major attacking category.
1: So so, so the point, one of the points that he made was that Gonzalo Higuain is, is participating in, in 60% of Miami's goals, which is either you know comparable or, or slightly higher than Hani, perhaps. But it's like, what is the absolute number of, of goals that are being <laughs> right. participated in here? <laughs> right. Miami is not a prolific scoring team. Right. And to be a
0: valuable player, to be the most viable player, you should probably be applying that trade on a team that's actually having success, you know, sustained, consistent success, instead of a guy who says he thought he could show up to Major League Soccer and play with a cigarette in his mouth. Just my opinion. Look, Carlos huel if he continues on his path um, after he returns from injury, his 16 assists right now. Incredible year. Deserves to be a nominee if he stays healthy uh, and is able to play a little more this year. Great year. Daniel Shallowy in Kansas City. Awesome year. Mm-hmm. You look at Ru Diaz in Seattle. He's fantastic. It. but own goal is killing it this year too own goals doing great he scored against nycfc in nashville last week if Hani Mukhtar leads major league soccer in goals plus assists at the end of the season and is not an mvp finalist it'll be the first time that has happened since 2013 and it will not surprise anybody in nashville the only real credit this group is going to receive long term sustained credit not just a little bit of lip service is going to have to be mandatorily handed out They're going to have to win it and pry it from Don Garber's fingers. I I don't believe there is a bias against Nashville. Let me be very clear. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think people are waking up saying, how can we screw Nashville fans today? Or how can we fail to give Gary Smith the credit he deserves? I think that Nashville is not a marquee name in this sport, uh, despite its best efforts to put itself among MLS's elite. You know, I, I had a conversation with an unnamed radio commentator elsewhere in the league who I otherwise really respect. I had tweeted, you, know, you can't make a list of MLS Cup contenders without including Nashville. And he responded, ah, they're second or third tier at best. This is after the New York City FC win. And he cites, of course, no evidence to back up his point other than perception. It's like folks in this league get six team names in their mind that are always supposed to be excellent. They talk about those six teams and they give credit to those six teams. But if Nashville had the same track record of second highest scoring team in the East second in the table, and their name was LAFC, they'd be the talk of the It'd
1: league. be weird that LAFC was in the East, though, right?
0: <laughs> really? That's what you're going to take from that? <laughs> New York City FC, Philadelphia, you name it. It's just, I mean, again, not not saying there's bias here. I'm saying there's laziness.
1: Yeah. There's like, laziness. like I mentioned earlier, it's it's kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind deal, and you can kind of um proactively choose to make a, a market like nashville remain out of your personal sight and mind if that's what you want to do summed up in 15 seconds better than my five minute rant <laughs> thank you for that and i don't
0: i'm just disappointed for fans of this league because it, it's underserving them and again i'm not levying this shot necessarily at the guys at extra time that everybody wants to listen to they've, they've had some good conversation of nashville it's, you know, folks, you know, some folks in the front office making these team of the week and, you know, coach of the week considerations, Walker team of the week this week, by the way. So there's that. That's good. It's fourth just
1: in fourth in player of the week voting.
0: Yeah, it's good. And, and honey was player of the week the week before that. It's it's a it's a Gary Smith problem. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways, then it's other media covering this league. That I just, can
1: be certain that Nashville will not have a team of the week member for week 25. However, as week 25 is a midweek <laughs> set this week in Nashville is not playing a midweek game. There you go. So we can take a week off from bemoaning the lack of recognition (laughs) for this club.
0: All right, enough ranting from me. Let's go look ahead to this road trip now. We'll embrace consensus by covering a question that Wesley Bryant brought to us. How many points would Nashville need to consider this road trip successful? He asked that question to us last week. We said five points was generally a pretty Mm -hmm. good result. That's what I I brought. I think that's what you said too, right? Yeah. Do we need to revise that now that Nashville's gotten
1: the win against Montreal, which was, at least on paper, the toughest of the four road matches? Yeah, I think if you only took two more points from the next three games, you would be pretty upset about it. So, yeah, I think you have to revise upward from five points, especially since it was the most difficult of the opponents that Nashville has already managed to beat, and I guess – in, in that respect, it, it plays out pretty well in terms of scheduling that they got that one out of the way first and that they got the three points. Obviously, makes it a lot less pressure for these other three games, but also a, a pretty big opportunity for the th- other three games. I think if you were to only get three points from these next three games, you know, three draws or a win and two losses, you'd be pretty upset about it. I think mm-hmm. um, either I, I would say either four or five points from the rest of these games would be th- what you want to aim for. If you only get three, you're fine. But if you get four or five, this is a team that that is not going to challenge New England for the Supporters' Shield, unfortunately. No. But they're going to cement themselves as number two in the East, I think, if that happens.
0: And we go another week looking for a fierce debate with each other because I, <laughs> I, I agree. It's time to revise the plan. I mean, Montreal was the highest position team in that four-game road swing. If you can win there, you don't have much business losing in the other three on this trip. And I think you should win at least another one of those three. Take three points against maybe a Toronto team that's lost five straight, maybe a... Uh, You a Chicago team that just gives up bad goals despite being a pretty attractive team. Um, Miami's maybe the toughest remaining of these three because they're playing really good soccer right now and they're pushing Mm -hmm. for the playoffs. I think you're allowed to have a stinker in the final three matches of this road trip. I mean, Nashville's two losses this year both came against teams outside of playoff position on the road. Nashville's traveling more than 1,900 miles to play three matches in nine days. And then they have to account for a visit from Orlando three days after that. It's going to be a a six-pointer. They're really going to take want to take uh, take the win from so think you win one of the next three and you draw the other two and and the ceiling that we mentioned of maybe eight points at at the beginning of this trip has become the floor you take five points add them to the three you got at montreal and then general consensus says that if you get 45 points out of the 34 you're probably a playoff team that puts nashville above that line already with eight matches left and they can focus
1: on thriving on getting to that home playoff match and not just surviving when nashville had played almost exclusively home games and people were saying well wait till you get on the road and obviously the way nashville started on the road was a little bit a little bit bumpy but not quite as bumpy as it might have felt you're really starting to see that if if this nashville team can play almost as well on the road as they have at home the, the ceiling is is so high and the only thing that would prevent them from being in the supporter Shield conversation is that New England is currently on pace to set a points record. So mm-hmm. other, aside from that, this would be a team that would be in the supporter Shield competition, uh, assuming a, a fairly good set of results over the next week and a half. Here.
0: Yeah, it's Nashville and Toronto, 6.30 p.m. You can catch pregame 6.15 on ESPN 94.9 on Saturday. Let's get to the final whistle content recommendations i'll start and i will do part b of my rant for this one with a positive (laughs) ending and my my content recommendation we're we're several months into this podcast for the first time though i'm going to recommend club and country clubcountryusa.com i know the guy who is the proprietor of that site he's a really good guy he really wants you to read the stuff but also he of course meaning you is a local impartial voice who's going to do things like build a power rankings mechanism that he's not going to manipulate when it spits out (laughs) Nashville being eighth and makes fans angry. But that's what the numbers are telling us. Your coverage is great. And I'm not just blowing smoke when I say, I think, you know, if fans want the best impartial local coverage that will give credit when it's deserved, will give blame when it's due, Tim's the guy club and country USA among the, the many strong media voices in this town has always been my go-to number one choice of the many that I consume and Steve Cavendish accused me on Lamestream Media last week. Another great show on 440 Sports of being maybe a little too nice. And, you know, he,
1: I, I feel like you're being very nice to me. I'm right being now. very nice to you. <laughs> uh, the, of course,
0: the dark side of it is that, that again, there's so much disingenuous crap out there. And I don't mean locally. I don't mean among the local soccer crowd, at least. I mean, there's there's coverage that's pretty shoddy. Analysis is pretty shoddy at a national level in many cases or folks in other markets not recognizing what's being done here. There are those who don't give a flip about soccer here locally, but use it to draw their own narratives when they feel it's convenient by doing things like questioning USA Soccer's crowd size without any context whatsoever. But if you want a local voice who is impartial, who's gonna get it right, and when he doesn't get it right, you can at least see the logic he's, he's coming to and using to, to make his, his, uh, his takes, that's it. Club and country club go each week and you can also find the link to this podcast there a convenient way to, to access us so mine is
1: 94.9 uh, game broadcast now. i only totally <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> said that so that you would then reverse plug me yeah. smart man yep no i, I, I want to <laughs> actually shout out a show that i i've mentioned before but i don't think it's it's gone in the content recommendation portion of the show which is cincinnati soccer talk it's a yeah. it's a kind of similar situation where they have a podcast but it's also a website. Um, the Weigels, especially, have been doing it as long as anyone. They've they've been doing it since you know the USL days for FC Cincinnati. A very familiar sort of uh, progression for me, especially. But those guys crush it. They they produce more content than pretty much anybody out there, and do it, and always do an awesome job with it.
0: Uh, it's it's good stuff. I um, Was fortunate to be a, a guest on that show before that first match of the season, and um, really enjoy the the combination of, of banter, but also substance that they bring Mm -hmm. to to the table. It's good stuff. Uh, Finally, we'll close with bold predictions
1: for the Toronto match. Uh, Tim, what you got? I think Nashville is going to win on the road for the third straight road match. Uh, It's your stat about NSC's third game against the same team in a year. That really kind of gives me some so some of that, I guess, uh, the sanguine feeling about, about making this prediction because Nashville is, has won every time that they face a team for the third time in the season and that they kept that streak going with the Montreal game over the weekend. And I think when you look at a Toronto team that's not as good as Montreal, it's you keep that going. And especially the way Nashville drew the, the game in Toronto, they felt a little hard done by it. And, you know, with Gary Smith's personality, he always when he feels like they shouldn't have lost in a certain way, He's going to go out and want to write that wrong and, and get the victory in Toronto.
0: Yeah, that full stat: Nashville six zero and zero. The third time it plays a team in a season, the total goal tally sixteen to four in those matches. I think at least that goals allowed tally sits where it is after match number seven in that in that list. I think it's a Nashville clean sheet. I don't know if that's a bold prediction. Maybe it doesn't qualify <laughs> match getting a clean sheet, especially on the road. Uh, Toronto hasn't scored multiple goals in any of their last five matches. We've mentioned they've yet to win at BMO Field this season. Now they also haven't been shut out there. So. It would be the first time that a team has done that, but I think statistically one of the best back lines in Major League Soccer will be the group to do it. I don't think Nashville allows a goal on Saturday, and their chances at victory will depend on their ability to score a goal of their own. I'm optimistic about that happening as well, but won't officially make that prediction since I'm on the radio call. All right, so that was fun. Good mm-hmm. good, uh, good show. Alistair, uh, special thanks to him and for the club for making him available. I think that was an awesome conversation. Hope you enjoyed the rest of it as well. We remind you, of course, as always, to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, and give us each a follow on Twitter. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thanks to ESPN 949 for the highlights. 440 Sports Network for keeping our microphones live. Tim, any final thoughts before
1: we leave? Nope. Just uh, make sure that you do the rate, review, subscribe part because it's so important to us. Um, I know every podcast says it at the end, but it really is very meaningful to us that when we see people recommending it to friends who are interested in soccer, it really is something that. That touches it touches my heart to see, to see somebody ask what what can I listen to or what can I read and have somebody like you know our friends John, John Mueller John Kate who always yeah. are asking us mailbag questions as well um giving us that sort of credit we really appreciate it and those people use facts
0: and not feelings to make their points and yeah. we can arrive at different conclusions of course but it's much better when we have stats behind. we're trying to say that's what we'll try to bring you we appreciate you guys bringing that to us as well with so many of your questions and so much of your feedback and we'll continue to point out when that maybe doesn't happen elsewhere in major league soccer hopefully not in as salty a way as we did today all right enjoy the week we'll talk to you again next week so long